You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we thank you for your magnificent word. It is so clear. It is, it is true. It is reliable. It is everything that you have needed to say to us. You have said in the pages of Scripture. And uh, we thank you that you have made these things clear for us, that we might respond in obedience and in faith to you. All that is here for us is for our guidance and our direction. We thank you that you have saved us and opened our eyes to the truth. And now we ask that you would send your Spirit to open our eyes that we may behold in your word wonderful things. We believe that everything that is contained here is sufficient for all of life and godliness, that we might be thoroughly equipped to serve you and to love you, and we pray that you would help us to understand your word now. Your word is truth, and so we pray that you would sanctify your people by it. In Christ's name, amen. In John chapter 10, we're going to read together verses 22 through verse 30. At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that passage is one of the most monumental and magnificent and glorious passages, I think, that in all of Scripture. It is one of those passages which is not to say that other Scriptures are not good. That's not what I'm saying. But this is one of those beautiful gems that sort of sits on the surface. This passage is an anchor for storm-tossed believers, if you doubt or if you are discouraged or if you are wavering and faltering, this passage will bring you back. This passage answers for once and forever the question, can someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ lose their salvation? This is a magnificent text, and I don't even think I'm going to be able to do it justice, but my responsibility is to stand up here and try with every text any given Sunday to try and do it justice. But I I can tell you right out of the gate, this is going to be a difficult one to fully plumb the depths of because it is such a beautiful passage. It really answers forever that question, whether somebody can lose their salvation or not. We would call this the doctrine of the security of the sheep. Particularly, we're looking at verses 27 to 29, the security of the sheep. Now, maybe you would prefer the phrase, the perseverance of the saints. I'm fine with that. I love that one, actually. Or maybe something that's more common, commonly known or commonly referred to as eternal security. I'm not as comfortable with that phrase because it seems to imply that somebody can just pray a prayer and then go off and live like the devil and eventually be saved. But that is not what this doctrine teaches. We're talking about the security of those who are his sheep. And there is a group that are his sheep. And the question is, is it possible for someone who belongs to Christ, who has been given by the Father to the Son, and has come to faith in Christ, and has received eternal life, and been born again and regenerated, is it possible for such a one 
to lose their salvation. Either through some misstep of one of the members of the Trinity, either the, the Father forgot to you know, secure it, or the Son forgot to die for Him, or the Holy Spirit forgot to regenerate Him, through some misstep of one of the members of the Trinity, or is it possible for such a one to lose their salvation because of some misstep in themselves, some failing that they do? Or is it possible even for someone to give back a salvation that they have received? Would you want to do that? Is it even possible for somebody who's really truly born again to say, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. Eternal life was really not what I wanted. I, I really wanted to perish in eternal flames, so I'm going to give back my, my salvation. Is that possible? Is it possible, though Jesus says, nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Is it possible for his sheep to jump out of his hand by their own free will? Is that possible? This passage is, this passage answers these questions, I think, definitively. I don't know how anybody can believe that it is possible for you to lose your salvation and read verses 27 to 29 with any sense of clarity or, or, or sober-mindedness. Verses 27 to 29 answer forever all of these issues. It, it deals with the what-ifs and the what-abouts and the how-abouts and is it possible and, and but what about this scenario? Jesus is dealing with this from every conceivable answer. He, he answers all of the possible objections. He answers all of the possible questions. He deals with every possible conceivable scenario in verses 27 to uh, 29. There are in this passage eight statements, eight of them. And each one of these short statements is designed to be like a well-driven nail that cannot be taken out in the fortress of the security of the sheep. And each one of these statements sort of deals with the issue of is it possible to lose your salvation? You could take any one of these eight statements and build a case on it, an irrefutable case on it. But Jesus doesn't give us just one. He gives us eight. And I want you to see what these eight statements are. In verse 27, and you just read through them and I'll give you the eight statements. In verse 27, number one, his sheep hear his voice. That is a statement of the security of the sheep. Number two, he knows his sheep. And number three, his sheep follow him. Verse 28, number four, he gives life, to, eternal life to his sheep. Five, his sheep will never perish. Six, no one can snatch his sheep from him. Then in verse 29 is number seven, his sheep are given to him by the Father. And number eight, none can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So his sheep hear his voice. He knows them. They follow him. He gives them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them from his hand. The Father has given them to the Son. And no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Those are the eight statements. And we're going to work our way through each one of those eight statements in the in the next couple of weeks today and, and probably wrap it up next week. Or maybe not. We'll see how it goes. You and I should not forget the context in which this, this these verses are given because verses 25 and all 26 are key in this as well. Remember, verses 25 and 26 are part of the answer that Jesus gives to this question. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answers that in verses 25 and 26. I told you already, and I did the works, and the works that I did in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. I have told you everything you need to know. I have shown you everything you need to see for you to make a decision, for you to understand who I am. You are absolutely without excuse in your rejection of me, yet you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Now Jesus is going to contrast the response of these unbelieving Jews and Pharisees to his sheep. The unbelieving Jews and Pharisees are in one camp, his sheep are in another camp. And when they asked him, declare to us publicly if you are the Christ, Jesus answered them, not by just saying, yes, I am the Christ, or no, I am not the Christ. He didn't give them a yes or no answer. He actually did what he has done on several other occasions. He pointed them back to what he has already said. 
And he told them, I've already given you the answer to this question. And then he explains the answer to them, which is why he says, well, what he does in verse 27 to 29 is he actually describes his messianic ministry to them in terms of being the shepherd of God's people. And he points back to all the Old Testament expectation that the Messiah would come. He would be a shepherd of God's people. He would save God's people. He would secure God's people. He would lead and guide and provide eternal life to God's people. And Jesus said, in essence, you ask me if I'm the Messiah. Look, here's what I do for my sheep. And he basically is alluding to everything in the Old Testament promises about the Messiah and saying, that's what I do for my sheep. So what's the answer to the question? Are you the Messiah? The answer is yes. But he doesn't just say yes. He actually explains to them the answer to the question. This is what I do. Now you tell me if I'm the Christ or not. My sheep hear my voice. I have sheep. The Father has given to me. Nobody can snatch them from me. I secure them. I save them. I give them eternal life. They follow me and they hear my voice and they know me and I know them. That's the answer to the question. Are you the Christ? And of course the obvious answer then is yes, he is the Christ. And verse 26 is key as well. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. Not you're not my sheep because you won't believe. But you do not believe because you don't belong to me. If you belong to me, you would believe. That's what verse 26 teaches. Not anybody can be his sheep. All you have to do is believe and make yourself his sheep. But Jesus is distinguishing between the Pharisees who did not belong to him and those who do belong to him. And that distinction of the Pharisees who don't belong and those who do is carried through the rest of the, of the passage. Look at verse 27 again. Read verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me and is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is talking about a group of people to which these Pharisees did not belong, namely his sheep. The Pharisees are in one camp, and they respond to his truth a certain way. His sheep are of an entirely different group, and they belong to his teaching and his claims, or they respond to his teaching and his claims a certain way. Now let's look at the first of these eight statements. The first one. His sheep hear his voice. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. Now what Jesus is saying there, and he's saying this with certainty, he knows that his sheep are going to hear his voice. Why? Because he has purposed and planned that his sheep would hear his voice. And he has been given the commission by the Father to save his sheep. And so Jesus came into the world and could say, I have a group that are mine, and when I call to them, they will come and they will follow me and I will give them eternal life. Now, what is Jesus describing here? He is describing a call to salvation. I've mentioned this in previous weeks, actually, when I think back when we kind of started John chapter 10, that there are people, folks and theologians, who use verse 27 and the same sort of phrasing in verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5, that speak of the shepherd, of the sheep hearing the shepherd's voice. Read verses 3 to 5 again. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And then verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. There are some who take those phrases and they say that that teaches that as God's people, as God's sheep, as Christians, we should be hearing from the shepherd outside of Scripture. Through a still small voice or a prompting or a nudge or some impression that we get that Jesus is whispering out his will, and we get these personalized revelations outside of Scripture. They're not contained in Scripture, but they're impressions that the Lord puts on my heart. And that's me hearing the voice of the Savior. And since I am his sheep, I now have a spiritual capacity to hear his voice as he speaks to me moment by moment, day by day, week by week, whispering things in my ear, 
And if I'm paying attention and I am alert, I can hear him. Now, does that sound, is that foreign to anyone, that idea? If you have never had to make your way through that sea of muddled, confusing, angst-ridden, experiential, subjective garbage, you ought to praise God that you have never had to work through that theology in your life. Where does God speak to us? In His Word. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, actually misquotes John chapter 10, My Sheep Hear My Voice, and Blackaby creates an entire theology that says this very thing, that you and I ought to be listening to God because God speaks to us through our circumstances, through His church, through prayer, and of course through Scripture. And we need to be listening for all of those ways in which God is speaking to us, listening for the voice of the Savior in all of these other things which are not Scripture. And Henry Blackaby is not the only one who promotes that theology. Charles Stanley, in his book, How to Listen to God, does the same thing. Quotes John 10 and says, See, the sheep hear the Savior's voice, so you need to be able to listen to God for directions and impressions and revelations which are outside of Scripture. Beth Moore does the same thing. Sarah Young, in her most recent book, Jesus Calling. Have you seen that book at Costco? The shelves and the shelves, there's like six aisles at Costco devoted to this book. They have one full-time employee whose job is to just open these boxes and put the books out on the shelf because people are buying them as fast as they can put them out there. Jesus Calling, in the introduction to that book, she describes her own personal journey where she says she finally realized, though she enjoyed Scripture, she longed for something more. Those are her words, not mine. Though she enjoyed Scripture and benefited from it, she longed for something more. Listen, if you can look at this book and say, I long for something more, that's pathetic. You ought not to ever long for anything more. This is sufficient for life and for godliness. Everything you need is contained in this book. This is where the shepherd speaks to you. This is where God speaks not in anything outside of that. And so she says that she finally realized that if she took a blank piece of paper and a pencil or a pen and she sat down and she sort of cleared her mind and just opened herself up to God, God would begin to speak to her. And so she started writing down these little revelations. And that's what Jesus Calling is. 365 devotional thoughts, which are all in the first person. Jesus speaking these things. And she's sharing with you the revelations that she has received outside of Scripture through just her impressions. She's sharing those with you in a devotional thought. So for $8.99, you too can be blessed. You buy the book. And you get the revelations. And it's in the first person you could put quotation marks around what Jesus supposedly says to her. That is a hash. That is a theological hash. Now I ask you, is that what Jesus is describing in John chapter 10? Is that what Jesus means when he says, my sheep hear my voice? Even a a superficial reading of the entire passage, it becomes evident. What Jesus is describing is not individual, day-by-day, moment-by-moment, personalized revelations apart from Scripture. What Jesus is describing is his act of calling those who belong to him out of the fold of humanity to himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, Nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How does the Father draw the sheep to himself? He uses the voice of the shepherd, and the voice of the shepherd calls his sheep by name, and they come to him out of the fold of humanity. That's what Jesus is describing. Not personalized revelation. To answer the question, which tie should I wear? Which house should I buy? Where should I move? What should I do with this decision? What Jesus is describing is what we call the effectual call. The effectual call. It is God saying to his sheep, you're mine, come to me. And his sheep hear his voice and they come. Because the result of this call is not individual personalized revelation. The result of hearing the shepherd's voice is that the sheep follow him and he gives them eternal life. This is a salvation passage, not a daily guidance passage. So his sheep hear his voice. And that is not, that is not personalized revelation. This is the call that is described in the passage we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, where the Apostle Paul says, And we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You've been called. You have been called by God according to the purpose of God. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the effectual call. You have been called by God because he predestined you to be conformed to the image of a son and he predestined you to be conformed to the image of a son because he set his love and affection on you in eternity past by foreknowing you and all those whom he has foreknown he has predestined that's paul's word by the way the bible's word not mine not john calvin's that's the bible's word and what the bible says predestined it means predestined that's what it means it means predestined i know that might come as a shock to some of us but that's what it means god has predestined those whom he foreknew and he has called them according to his purpose, and he has justified them, that is, he declares them righteous, and then he sanctifies them, and he glorifies all those whom he foreknew and whom he called. It's the effectual call. That's what Jesus is describing. My sheep will hear his, his sheep will hear his voice, and they will come to him. And he can say this with certainty. Why? Because he knows whom the Father has given. He knows whom the Father has given to him. Jesus is able to look out at the mass of humanity, and he knows that there is a group whom the Father has given to him. And the purposes of the triune God in the salvation of his people cannot be thwarted. God has not left our salvation up to chance. Instead, Jesus can say with certainty, those who are mine will hear my voice. And he secures his people by his voice from the voice of every false prophet and false teacher and false apostle and false doctrine and false Christ that could possibly exist. Because his people will not follow after the voice of strangers. Instead, they will follow his voice. And Jesus says with certainty, they will hear me and they will come to me. There is security in that. Knowing that God, the triune God, has promised that those who belong to him, all of them, will hear his voice. And they will not remain deaf to it. So you, friend, you, Christian, while you were languishing in your sin, dead in your trespasses and sin, with your heart hardened against God, in rebellion to him, hating him, and unable to do anything that pleased him, while you were a slave of Satan and a slave of sin and a slave to yourself, at his perfect time, according to his perfect will, in his timing, just as he knew you would, he called to you and your ears heard him. Do you remember that time in your life when that happened? And you had heard people give you invitations and heard the gospel and heard the truth on so many other occasions, but there was one time when suddenly you realized, I, I have to have this. This is the affection. This is the call of God. I have to have this because he has changed my heart. And suddenly you hear the voice of the shepherd like you never heard him before. That's his promise to you. That secures the sheep. They will hear. Let me ask you this question. How many of his sheep will hear his voice? Some? Most? Few? All. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. That's his promise. John 6:37. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. All of them will come to me. And Jesus said, I will gather them all in. I will give them eternal life and I will raise them all up on the last day because this is the will of my Father of all that he has given to me. I lose none of them. And so since he is committed to losing none of them, all of them will hear his voice. That is his promise. The second thing in verse 27 is that he knows his sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Now listen, there is a world of comfort in that phrase and I want you to see the world of comfort that it is in that phrase that he knows us. This is actually Jesus repeating something that he said up in verses 14 and 15. Look up there. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is Jesus' promise that he knows his sheep. And in verses 14 and 15, he says, I know the sheep like I know the Father and the Father knows me and my sheep know me. But down in verse 27, it just seems to be one directional. Do you notice that? Jesus doesn't say, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He just simply says, I know my sheep. 
Why does he not repeat it and say, and my sheep know me? I think it is because in this context, Jesus is emphasizing the security of the sheep. And listen, my security as a believer, my eternal destiny, rests not in my ability to know him or in my knowledge of him. Do you want your salvation to rest upon how good you know the Savior or how well you know the Savior? I don't want my salvation to rest on that because my knowledge of him is is puny. It's minuscule compared to his knowledge of me. My knowledge of him is failing. It is faulty. It is shattered. It is blurred. It is it is corrupted even by my own impure heart. And my flesh masks this knowledge of him. I don't want my salvation to rest upon my knowledge of the Savior. I want my salvation and the security of it to rest in the fact that he knows me. Now, I can take comfort in that, that he knows me. If he knows me, then I'm secure because the shepherd knows those who are his. It should be obvious to us that the shepherd cannot possibly know us in the way that This word know means intimately and personally. He cannot possibly know us in this way unless he knows who are his sheep. Have you ever heard anybody suggest that Jesus doesn't know all the sheep that he's given to him until they actually come to him? I've heard people suggest that. And Jesus is up in heaven. He's just as shocked as you are to find out you believe. I mean, when you when you got saved, he's, wow, that's... No, no. In eternity past, the Father selected a group and he gave them to the Son. And do you think the Son is ignorant of who that is? He's not. He saw the woman at the well and he knew, she's my sheep. And so I must go through Samaria. And he did. And she was saved. He knew that the man born blind was his sheep. And he saved him. He knew the disciples were his. Jesus said, or John said in John chapter 2, Jesus had no need for anybody to testify him about men. For he knew what was in men and he knew all men. He knew who his sheep were. He could look out over a crowd and know, this one belongs to me and this one doesn't. That's why he said to the Pharisees, you are not of my sheep. He knew them. He didn't say to the Pharisees, you know what? I really can't tell whether or not you're my sheep until you either die in unbelief or believe. And once you believe, I'll find out whether or not you belong to me. That's not what he said. He said, you don't belong to me. You're not my sheep. And that's why you don't believe. He knew who his sheep were. He knows them. And he knows them by name. It's not as if people are getting saved and the father's up there saying, well, wow, that one got saved. I guess you can have him too. Give them to you. And look at her. Wow, look at those apples. She got saved too. Who'd expected that? And I guess you can have her as well. Go ahead. Secure her. That's not how the father works. The father knew everybody that he chose by name individually. He just didn't decide to save people and leave it up to us. He knows who his sheep are. Further, he knows everything about his sheep. He knows everything about us. Not only does he know who his sheep are, he knows everything about them. And this is securing for this reason. He, the, the, the Son knows, the Lord Jesus knows everything about my gifts and my talents and my skills and my abilities. He knows what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. He knows what ministries would be fit for me, what ministries are not fit for me. He knows how much responsibility should be given to me and what responsibility should not be given to me. He knows how much wealth I can handle, how much wealth I can't handle. He knows how many kids I need, how many kids I don't need. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about my life, and he has ordered the events of my life for my good. Further, the Savior knows all of my failings and my failures and my weaknesses and my sin and the darkness of my own heart before I got saved and my my slavery to sin. He knew all of that. And he knows my my depressions and my discouragements and my doubts. He knows all of that as well. And here's the securing part about this. He knew all of that before he ever saved me. He knew all of that before he ever saved me. So there is no possibility that the Savior could ever find out anything about me which might make him to say, "Uh no, I'm sorry, but I didn't realize you were bringing that mess to the table. That's more baggage than an airline carries. I can't handle all of that. That's more sin. It's not like the father is up there and the son saying, look, I would have saved, I would never have saved Osman if I would have known how much of a wretch he was. And if I would have known then what I know about him now, I would have never started this. I would have never invited him into the family. 
There is nothing that the Savior can ever find out about me, his sheep, that would cause him to abandon me or to cast me off. Nothing. There's no sin that I could ever commit. There's no failure that could ever come to my eyes or his eyes which would cause him to say, look, I'm done with him. Impossible. Because he knows the sheep. And he knows everything about you and everything about me before ever there was a you and me. Do you realize that? Before ever there was a you and me. Before you ever made your calling and election sure by believing upon the Son, He knew you. Before you were knit together in your mother's womb, He knew you. Before there was ever an angel or an Adam created, He knew you. So nothing you can do can surprise Him. That's security. I want my security, to, I want to rest in the security that He knows me, not that I am able to know Him. And I don't want my salvation and my acceptance before God to be determined by my ability to know the Son. It rests in his knowledge of me, and I am secure. All of us have in our hearts this terrifying fear when we meet somebody. And I don't know if this is, if this fear is a part of our sinful nature or, or what. In fact, I think, I think it would be. This fear that we have, or some of us have this. When I meet somebody new, if they found out everything about me, it might change their opinion of me. Everybody, everybody understand that? We all have things in our past, things we did. When we were kids, when we were teenagers. And even the people that we know the best, there are things that we think in our minds, if that person knew this about me, it would change his opinion of me. I don't have to fear that with Jesus. And he has committed that he will finish what he has started until the day of Christ Jesus. And he will never drop me and he will never let me go. Because he knows me, I'm secure. I'm secure in it. And it is his knowledge of me that secures me. Consider what the opposite of this is. Do you realize the opposite of this is in Matthew chapter 7 when on Judgment Day some will come to Jesus and say, did we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and do many wonders in your name? And what would Jesus say to them? I never knew you. I never knew you. What scorn and what contempt are in that, is in that phrase, I never knew you? Not I knew you at one time, but then I lost you or you jumped out of my hand and now I don't know you any longer. That's not what he said. I never knew you. These people never belong to him. In spite of their miracles, in spite of their prophesying, in spite of their teaching, in spite of their, their phony charade on the outside, Jesus said, I never knew you. Who does he know? He knows his sheep. But he doesn't know those whom he judges. Not in the way that he knows his sheep. Salvation and the security of it is in this. My Savior knows me because I'm a sheep. And because he knows me intimately, I am secure. Judgment is for those whom he does not know. As he says to them in Matthew chapter 7. I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You're in the, the slaves of sin, and you're still in darkness. And so they will be told to leave his presence because he never knew them. But the Savior does know his sheep. In fact, on Judgment Day, it will be the opposite for you and I. For you and me, whatever is grammatically proper. It will be the opposite for us. You see, we're not going to stand in the presence of the Savior and have the Savior say, I never knew you. Instead, the Savior will say to us, I have known you. And I know you, and I have known you from before the foundation of the world. From his perspective, we are old acquaintances. Old acquaintances. He knows me well. In fact, he has known me before there was a me to know. Now, I have known him only a short period of time, but he has known me from eternity past. That's the promise of salvation. You and I are secure because his sheep will hear his voice. Absolutely, certainly. And he knows his sheep intimately. And for that reason, you and I are secure. Now, that is two of the eight. There are five more, six more left. Six more, not five more. I had five from my head from something else. It is six more. There are six more of them, and we will get to those next week. Now, I think that the best is yet to come. 
The best is yet to come. When Jesus says they will never perish, guess what that means? Yeah, they'll never perish. They, his sheep, will never perish. That's his promise. That is glorious truth. You and I are secure because he knows us and because we will hear his voice. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for these promises. They remind us of just how glorious is our Savior and the salvation that you have predestined to our eternal glory and our eternal good. We thank you for a Savior who has loved us and known us before the foundation of the world. And we thank you, Father, for your gift of giving us to your Son. Had you not committed us to him to save and to die for and to to glorify, we would never have any hope of ever standing in your presence to give you praise and glory. We would only have faced the wrath uh, that we would likely and uh, rightly deserve from you. So we thank you that you have determined to have mercy upon us, that you have expressed your kindness and your love in giving us to your Son. And we thank you for a Savior who is able to keep those whom you have given to him and to present us faultless before your throne with exceeding joy. We ask that that might be the lot and portion of all who are here and all who belong to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.